Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. It is good to know that God is always by our side. I hope you're making it through the Old Testament. Um, You're just about done with the Old Testament a couple of more weeks, and you will have read through the Old Testament if you're staying up with us. This week, we're going to look at Obadiah, Jonah, and Micah. Now, we're going to focus on the book of Obadiah. I'm going to give you a moment to find it. It's only one page, 21 verses, shortest book in the Old Testament. I recall, and I've told you this before, Grady Nutt, and many of you may remember Grady Nutt, who was appropriately named, by the way, um, was a Christian comedian before he was killed in a plane crash. I remember him speaking about growing up. I think it was in Tennessee, I may be wrong, but he had a, an uncle who was a pastor in a small country church, and they had sword drill Bibles. They would look like to do the Bible drill where you find the books of the Bible, and his favorite passage was always in Obadiah because it's just one page, and you're trying to find it. And so Grady Nutt and his cousin slipped in there one week and tore out all the Obadiah pages <laughs> out of the sword drill Bibles. <laughs> and I, he didn't tell us what happened after that. We just know that he did. Let me tell you just a, a, a little bit about Jonah and Micah, then we're going to look at Obadiah. And I would dare say that the majority of you in here have never heard a sermon out of Obadiah. Well, I can tell you, I've preached one time out of Obadiah, and that was at 8 o'clock. So this is my second time. And there's a reason for it. You're going to see in a moment. But, and you probably don't do devotional reading from Obadiah. Let me talk about Jonah for a moment. Jonah is one of the earliest writing prophets. You're going to be reading his book this week. 2 Kings 14.25 mentions him. And, and of course, there, were, there are liberal scholars and that don't believe that it actually happened, uh, the Jonah and the fish, that it was a myth or allegory. But folks, the scripture bears it out in the New Testament and Jesus himself bore it out. I believe them before I believe all the liberal folks. You basically can break Jonah down into two parts. There's only four chapters, but the first two chapters are the first commissioning of Jonah and the second two chapters are the second commissioning of Jonah. First time the Lord told him to do something, he went the opposite direction. This time he went the right direction. He just complained about it, but he did it. And a lot of people came to know Jesus. Now in the book of Micah, his name means who is like Jehovah. He prophesied during the reigns of Hezekiah, Jotham, and Ahaz. You can read some of this in Jeremiah 26, 18. To Micah, God was everything. He ought to be everything to all of us, but he even ends his book by exclaiming, who is a God like you? He he was a bold preacher. His predictions were vivid. He spoke with great authority. He denounced the corrupt priests, the false rulers, the false prophets. He wasn't very popular because of his preaching. He's quoted by the magi, the wise men, 
They actually quote Micah 5.2. You can read about this in Matthew chapter 2. And then Jesus himself quoted out of Micah when he sent his disciples out in Matthew chapter 10, verse 35. He quotes Micah 7.6. First three chapters of Micah are the coming judgment. In um, part two, the coming kingdom in, verses, in chapters four and five, the coming kingdom. And then part three is the plea for repentance in chapter six and seven. You don't have a lot of reading to do. I'm gonna read the book of Obadiah to you today so you're already ahead when you get reading this week. Now let's look at Obadiah, the shortest book in the Old Testament. It contains 21 verses and it is an honest evaluation and prophecy about Edom. You're gonna go, well, who is Edom? And we're gonna talk about that. But evaluations, before we, before we get started here, have you ever had to do an evaluation on somebody? Maybe you're a boss and you've got employees and you have to do evaluations on people and, and I see y'all looking at each other so I know that you've done that. Well, I actually wanna read what was written down on some evaluations. I didn't make these up. These were actually written down on some actual job performance evaluations that supervisors wrote about their employees. This person has a room temperature IQ. <laughs> Gates are down, lights are flashing, but the train just isn't coming. This employee should go far, and the sooner he starts, the better. This young lady has delusions of adequacy. He has a full six pack, but lacks the plastic thingy that holds it together. If brains were taxed, she'd get a huge refund. This employee is just de depriving a village somewhere of an idiot. This person is not so much a has-been, but is definitely a won't-be. This person was left on a tilt-a-whirl too long as a child. <laughs> do y'all know what a tilt-a-whirl is? I know my folks do, but okay. Somehow slipped into the gene pool when the lifeguard wasn't watching. And finally, he would be out of his depth in a parking lot puddle. God's evaluation of Edom is very severe. We really don't know a lot about Obadiah. There's 12 guys in the Old Testament with that name, but it's not clear that any of them have a connection as the author of this book. Uh, according to the Jewish Talmud, Obadiah is said to have been a convert to Judaism from Edom, and it was a descendant of Eliphaz who was the friend of Job. As we know for certain, all we know for certain is that, is that Obadiah's name means servant or worshiper of Jehovah or Yahweh, excuse me. Now, Obadiah could be called the prophet of the family feud. You see, the book of Obadiah is written about two nations that are that came from two brothers that have been through centuries in a family feud. This family feud began back in the book of Genesis when twins were born to who? To Isaac and Rebekah. And the twins' names were Jacob and Esau. 
In the beginning, their lives, and as they grew up, there was no love lost between them. In fact, they were very different in nature. Jacob was more of a homebody and a domestic personality. Esau was more of a rugged outdoorsman. Genesis 36.1 and Genesis 36.8 tell us that Esau is the founder of Edom. And when you read about the Edomites, they are the descendants of Esau. The, the names Esau and Edom come from a Hebrew word that means red. Now, the, the other nation in the book is, is Israel. And God renamed Jacob Israel. And so you have the prophet of the family feud. They had through their history, there's been animosity between these nations. You might remember that when the children of Israel were coming up out of Egypt and they were headed to the promised land, they wanted to go through Edom. They asked the Edomites if they could pass through. They, did, they said, we're not going to eat any of your food. We're not going to eat any of your fruit. We're not going to take any of the spoils. But the Edomites wouldn't let them come through. The Edomites refused to let them on their land. When Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians, the Edomites took pleasure and rejoiced in that. We're going to see that in just a moment. And even down to the time when Jesus was born, Herod the king slew all the baby boys in Bethlehem of two years and under. Herod was an Edomite king appointed by the Romans over Palestine. Now, all through the centuries, there's been animosity and hostility. Let me give you a few examples. 1 Samuel 14, Edom is one of the enemies that Saul fought against when he became king. In 2 Samuel 8, David subdued Edom when he became king. In 2 Kings 8, we read that Edom revolted against Israel. And prophet after prophet spoke against Edom. Isaiah said that Edom was doomed to judgment in chapter 34. Jeremiah said God would bring calamity on Edom in chapter 49. Ezekiel said that God would lay their towns to ruin in chapter 35. Malachi predicted their destruction. Lamentations 4 says God will punish Edom's sin. Why? Well, back in Genesis chapter 12, God told Abraham, verses two and three, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those that bless you and I will curse him who curses you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And we have found that to be true. When nations blessed Israel, God blessed them. I believe one of the reasons that God has blessed this nation has been because we've been so kind and supportive to the nation of Israel. I just pray that our government remembers that. Now there's two basic things in the book of Obadiah. First 16 verses, you see the fall of a nation, Edom. And then verses 17 to 21, you see the rise of a nation, Israel. Now, I'm going to try to make this as interesting as I can, and I believe there's a few things you can actually put in your pocket and take home that you can actually think, you know what, that applies to me. I, I, I know now why nobody ever preaches out of Obadiah. But I think there's something here for us. I really do. 
First, we're going to look at the ruin and the removal of Edom. This small book speaks of some great danger of national sin and pride and also as individuals. You see, let me begin by reading in verse 1. The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, we have heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations saying, arise and let us rise up against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. We know that Edom is going to go away. It's going to be done away with. And there's some reasons why. So let's begin by looking at the cause of their downfall. Look at verse three. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, you who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? They allow themselves to be filled with pride. Pride is what caused Lucifer to fall from heaven. Pride is one thing the Bible says that God hates. Pride keeps people from coming to God. Pride keeps people from realizing that they need the Lord as their Savior. In fact, the Scripture says that God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. Have you ever noticed the way God made us? He made our bodies where it's very difficult for us to pat ourselves on the back. (laughs) Now, he also made it very difficult for us to kick ourselves very hard either. Pride, isn't it amazing what pride does? All of us, all of us battle this. All of us battle it. I got amused at a group of ladies that were playing bridge and they got into one of those, oh, I guess you'd say high life bragging parties. One lady said, my husband just purchased for me an expensive and beautiful mink coat, but I can't wear it because I'm allergic to mink. Second lady said, well, that's nothing. My husband just returned from New York where he purchased a designer wardrobe for me. The minute I put it on, I began to sneeze and I had to put the whole wardrobe at storage. Third lady said, well, my husband bought the most expensive Parisian perfume he could find. When I opened the case of the perfume, I nearly fainted. I was surprised, but but mostly the fragrance seemed to touch off a hidden allergy. At this point, the fourth lady got up and ran out of the room, ran into the bathroom. She came back looking a little pale, and the other lady said, what's the matter? She said, I don't know. I I think I'm allergic to bologna. Let's look at the cause of their pride. Several things. Look at verse 3. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who dwell in the clefts of the rocks, whose habitation is high, you who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? First thing is they bragged that they were impregnable. They could not be conquered. When the Edomites went down to the southern part of the Dead Sea, below the Dead Sea, they settled in the mountainous area and a rocky region, and they built their city, and their capital city was named what? Petra. You ever heard of Petra? 
fact, some of you visited Petra. You've seen pictures of Petra. If you've seen Indiana Jones movies, you've seen Petra. And it was built into the sides of the mountain walls. And the ruins of that city are one of the, are one of the wonders of the ancient world. But because of the location of their city that was completely covered by mountains and located in rocks, they thought they were beyond the ability to be attacked. They were impregnable. That's what Obadiah was referring to when he said they live in the clefts of the rock. Now, Edom probably laughed when they heard this prophecy. Are you kidding me? We are invincible. We have Petra. It'll never happen to us. Folks, let me ask you something. Could this happen to America? There are two verses from God we need to hear. Psalm 9:17 says, The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. And we have a country now that's trying to forget God. Just look at the political system and see who's trying to forget God. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. It's one thing to chant USA, USA at the Olympics. It's another thing to be so proud that we think we could never fall, but we can. In fact, if something doesn't change, we're going to. The second thing, they believed they were inaccessible. Look at verse four. Though you ascend as high as the eagle and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. If thieves had come to you, if robbers by night, oh, how will you be cut off? Would they have not stolen till they had enough? If grape gatherers had come to you, would they have not left some of the gleanings? Oh, how Esau shall be searched out, how his hidden treasure shall be sought after. All the men in your confederacy shall force you to the border. The men at peace with you shall deceive you and prevail against you. Those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you. No one is aware of it. They were saying, who's going to bring us down? We're so high and mighty. We're so lifted up. Nobody's going to bring us down. And God is saying, not only are you going to be brought down, but it's going to be nothing left of you. He said, even if a thief came in in your home, a thief will only take what he needs or what he can carry. He's going to leave some things behind. If somebody comes in and plows your field, they're, they're going to leave things they're going to leave some fruit for the people that glean from the fields. They're not going to take everything, but everything's going to be taken from you. You won't exist anymore. They believed they were inaccessible. The third thing is they banked on their intelligence. Look at verse 8. Will I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men from Edom and understanding from the mountains of Esau? Then your mighty men, O Teman, shall be dismayed to the end that everyone from the mountains of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. You see, Edom had a center, Teman, that was the name of this, this place, this town, that was the center of their wisdom and knowledge and their military intelligence. And they said, we're so smart, we'll be okay. It's interesting that in the book of Job, Eliphaz, who was one of Job's so-called friends, is identified as a Temanite from that city of supposedly 
wisdom of the world, I guess. But before we look to, to, to condemn Edom too quickly, maybe we need to take a long look at our own life to see where we've put our security. Because all of us have it. Some people today, their security's in their job. Or their security's in their 401k or their 403b or their ABCD or whatever you want to call it. Some people's security is in their house. And I know all of you rest in the security of our government. What are you laughing at? Believe it or not, some people put their security in spiritual leaders. I mean, people who they think have all the answers and, and they don't ever check them out to see if they're telling, being telling the truth or not. Psalm 20, verse 7 and 8 said, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. The fact that we're trusting in anything but the Lord our God means that you're trusting in something that's going to pass away. It may seem secure to you. It may seem invisible to you now, but, I'm, but trust me, everything on this earth except two things will pass away. Those two things are the Word of God and people. They are eternal. Historians tell us that there have been 21 great empires in the past, and all of them are gone. The Egyptian empire's gone. All that's left is a struggling country trying to survive. The great Persian empire's gone, it's replaced by one isolated nation called Iran, which suffers from economic sanctions from the world. The Greek empire... Look at the struggling economy of Greece today. The Roman Empire, it's gone. The great Soviet Union, which we remember in our lifetime, is no more a union. Khrushchev predicted that they would bury us, but they're no longer an empire. Listen to what one theologian, James Montgomery Boyce, wrote about Obadiah's message and how it applies to America. Is the United States destined for destruction? We cannot say. She may recover her godly heritage. She may last until the Lord returns. But we should be warned by God's judgment on Edom. Do we boast that we are strong? That we have the greatest army, the most missiles, and the most effective navy? Do we boast that our technology is superior to that of the rest of the world? If so, we must watch out. God says that he can bring even our nation down. We've got to keep our eyes on God. You see, the cause of Edom's fall and destruction was pride. But notice the conduct now in verse 10, the conduct leading to that destruction. Verse 10 says, for, and you're going to see that because of what they did, God's bringing judgment on them. The first thing is what they did not do. Verse 10, for violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you as you be cut off forever. In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captive, 
his forces. When foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. But you should not have gazed on the day of your brother in the day of his captivity. Nebuchadnezzar brought an army in. And when he leveled, or when he came in and captured Jerusalem, Edom, instead of helping, now you got to remember, Edom is kin to Israel. They're from different brothers. Instead of helping, they just watched. Sort of like the Levite and the priest that passed by on the other side in the account of the Good Samaritan. They didn't do anything. And I call this passive observation. I'm going to watch, but I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm going to be passive. And you might be thinking, well, these nations were enemies, but that's not what God wanted them to be. Listen to Deuteronomy 23.7. The Lord told Israel, you shall not abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother. God's desire for the Israelites to treat Edom with brotherly love was just as much his desire for Edom to treat Israel in the same manner to come to the aid, to not stand there and do nothing. I got amused that Calvin Miller told the story of a, co of a coffee shop conversation that he had with a policeman. And while they were drinking coffee, he noticed on the policeman was a holster with a can of mace in it. And Miller asked the policeman, how does that work? And the policeman took it out of his holster and he said, well, you take the cap off of it and you spray it in someone's face. And Miller said, well, what does it do? Does it knock them out? And he said, oh no. He said, they're still conscious, but they are inert. I-N-E-R-T. If you don't know what that means, it means sluggish, passive, inactive, lethargic. You're awake, but you're not moving much. Okay, you got that? And the policeman asked Miller, he said, do you understand conscious but inert? And Calvin smiled and he said, man, I've been a local church pastor for 20 years. I understand conscious but inert better than you can imagine. <laughs> do you stand inert when a brother stumbles? Do you stand inert when somebody is falling? That's what the people of Edom did. When the enemies threatened Jerusalem, the people at Edom said, that's none of our business. We're just going to stay out of it. But how often a brother or sister stumbles and the rest of us stand off and just watch. And we don't help and we choose not to get involved when we're told in the scriptures to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ instead of not doing anything we're told to be like that good Samaritan who at personal expense and time took this man and took him in and, 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 made it and helped him get better by putting him up and feeding him. We have a responsibility to other people, especially those in our family and especially those in our church family. Don't you agree? When we see somebody struggling, we're not to be passive and just watch them. We need to step up and help. We need to encourage when we can encourage. We need to defend them when we can defend them. And when pride shows through in our lives, we just stand back and watch them stumble. And that was the basic sin of the Edomites. Their neighboring country, their extended family was falling. They were doing nothing. I want to read this passage 
verses 12 and 13 out of the message, which is a paraphrase, but listen to what it says. Godless foreigners invaded and pillaged Jerusalem. You stood there and watched. You're as bad as they were. You shouldn't have gloated over your brother when he was down and out. You shouldn't have laughed and joked at Judah's sons when they were face down in the mud. Their conduct also included wrongful celebration. Look at verse 12. In the day of their destruction, nor should, excuse me, you should not, nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. They watched Israel fall to the Babylonians and they rejoiced. You know, it's a shame. It's a shame with Christian people talk about other Christians and can be even happy about when they stumble. Churches can talk about other churches and be happy when that church stumbles. If we saw ourselves the way God sees us, there wouldn't be any room for rejoicing when others fall. Because folks, we're all sinners saved by the grace of God. In Psalm 137, verse 7, it says, Remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, who said, Raise it, R-A-Z-E, raise it, raise it, which means tear it down, even to the foundation." You see, these people just celebrated the, the what was happening. I'm so glad they're getting what's coming to them. I'm so glad they're stumbling. And you know what? It can break our hearts when believers fall, but we shouldn't be happy about it at all. It should break our hearts. Their conduct also included something else. Look at verse 13. You should not have entered the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Indeed, you should not have gazed on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. They had willful depredation. Depredation means to loot and plunder. When Jerusalem was being captured, the Edomites took advantage and went in and grabbed all their stuff that they could. They looted the place. You know, we see that happening when there's catastrophes that happen. People begin to loot store. That's as low as it gets as far as I'm concerned. Don't take advantage of somebody when they're down. Do we pray on other people? Do we move in and gather on their spoils? When a brother is in a financial bind, do we offer to buy their possessions for a mere fraction of what they're worth and then stand back and gloat that we've done them a favor? You know, we don't. That's what they did. The Edomites just came in and took advantage of the situation. And there was one other thing that was involved. And look in verse 14. You should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among them who escaped, nor should you have delivered up those among them who remained in the day of distress. They had, they were involved in disloyal cooperation. In other words, these people who were trying to escape with their lives, the stragglers that had hidden and were getting away, they would find them and turn them over to the Babylonians. Don't stand in the way of a brother or sister who's hurting. Figuratively speaking, God's people can be guilty of this very thing. They can treat Christians who've sinned with unbrotherly love 
Some Christians spread, excuse me, some Christians spend more time delivering a fellow believer into the hands of unbelievers than they do serving God. They, you can see what was happening here. And as a result of that, I want you to notice the consequences of their deeds. In verse 10, go back to verse 10. It says, and you shall be cut off forever. Verse 15, for the day of the Lord upon all the nations is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return upon your own head. For as you drank on my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been. When Rome conquered Israel, Caesar made Herod over Palestine. He was an Edomite. King Herod was a descendant of the Edomites, and Herod was from Idumea, which is a Greek name for Edom. Now, you know, he was the one that when Jesus was born and all the babies were killed and he did all the building and so forth. But later on, you remember when Jesus prophesied that the, the temple was going to be destroyed? And of course, it happened in 70 AD. What happened in 70 AD is a group of zealots convinced 20,000 Idumeans, Edomites, to help them take the temple. Well, Rome came in and killed a bunch of them and scattered them, and the temple was destroyed, and, and, and they completed their siege of Jerusalem. And when that happened, all the Edomites disappeared. And you haven't seen one since. You don't see the you're not You're not living next door to an Edomite. A lot of those Ike brothers are gone. Hittites, Malachites, Edomites, Moabites. It happened just the way God said it would happen. He said, they're not gonna see you anymore. You see the fall of that nation. But quickly, let me share some good news with you. I know this has just been real light reading for you. Now you know why you don't hear sermons from Obadiah. But I want you to notice the prophecy of the return and restoration of Israel. But on Mount Zion, there shall be deliverance and there shall be holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire. The house of Joseph, a flame. But the house of Esau shall be stubble. They shall kindle them and devour them, and no survivor shall remain of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. The south shall possess the mountains, and so forth. Let me, let me just t tell you quickly, Mount Zion speaks of Israel. And this is a prediction of the end times when Jesus comes again. And notice what's going to happen. He's going to bless Mount Zion in four distinct ways. First, he's going to save them, verse 17. And then there's going to be holiness. He'll sanctify them. And in verse 17, he will satisfy them. They shall possess their possessions. And in verse 18, he will strengthen them. Now, Mount Zion is a reference to Israel, and he's saying that Mount Zion or Israel is going to experience a deliverance, and there's, there shall be a holiness again. Now, in 1948, when the Israelis took over, became a nation again, 
They went back as a people in unbelief. Most of them were atheistic because of all the persecution that they'd had over all these years. They came back as atheists. as a political matter to them. But God says there's going to be deliverance one day. And I want you to notice a couple of things before I, I've quit and I'm almost done. He makes a remarkable prediction. He said in verse 17, the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. And then when you look down in verse 19, 20, you're gonna see that word possess again in all the different lands. Did you know that God is going to restore all the land that he intended for Israel to have back to them? When, the, when he comes back during the millennial reign. What's the big deal in the Middle East today? Who gets what? They're always fighting over property. And Israel's given up so much of it, but a lot of this other that the, the other groups claim to be theirs, it's not theirs. It's, it's, it's the people of God's, Israel's. And there's one other issue I want you to notice, verse 18. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, the house of Joseph a flame. House of Jacob describes Israel. The house of Joseph describes Judah, and they're both called fire and flame. In other words, it says that God is going to rejoin the northern and southern kingdom again and reunite them. It's the same picture in Ezekiel 37 when the prophet speaks of the two sticks in Ezekiel 37. And he ends this short book with a hope, a message of hope to the Israelis, to the Israelites, a message of hope that says, in fact, look at the last phrase in verse 21, uh, in verse 21 and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. One of these days, in fact, you see the signs of the times happening. Every time Israel does something, you notice God protects them. God has his hand on them. One of these days, they're going to be restored and the Lord's going to reign on this earth. So folks, I guess the bottom line is we know that judgment is coming one day. We know that. We're told time and time and time again the judgment of God will fall on those who are in unrighteousness. So how do you get out of unrighteousness? You can't get yourself out of it. Only Jesus can bring you out of it. Only Jesus can forgive you. Jesus died for our sins. He rose again. And when you place your faith and trust in him, God immerses you in the righteousness of Jesus. And you are then delivered from wrath. You're not going to face the judgment that's going to fall on this earth to those without Christ. We see it coming. This prophecy's been fulfilled, except for the part about Israel. Can you go to Edom today? There's some remnants of it. Petra, the capital city of the Edomites. And if you've been there, and I've been there, the Edomites aren't there anymore. All the prophecies about Jesus coming the first time have been fulfilled. There's many, many more prophecies about the second coming of Jesus than there are the first one. We know he's coming back. You hear me say it all the time. It's coming. He's coming back. The judgment of God is coming. 
But the good news is you don't have to be afraid. You don't. You don't have to be afraid because God loves you. God's trying to keep you from being there by giving us his son, Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus today, you can know him right now. Would you bow your heads with me? If you're watching us online, you can hit that connect button and somebody will help you in knowing the Lord. You can text the word living hope to 474747 and the information will come up and and if you'll let us have it, we can call you and talk to you about knowing Jesus. Lord, we pray for those today who need Jesus. They're, They're going to enter into eternity unprepared because they don't know Jesus. And just like you warned the Edomites for so long, Lord, that their pride kept them from you, we pray that today no one's pride would keep them from coming to know Christ. I lift up those who, that you're drawing right now to be saved, that they would confess their sins, they would place their faith in Christ, they would seek your forgiveness. I pray for believers, Lord, help us to not be passive, not to sit around and observe, but to be involved in your kingdom. I pray for those that need a church home and if this is the place you bring them here, I pray, God, for those who need to be baptized like these this morning were, being obedient to you and their faith. Again, if you're watching online, you can text us. Living hope, all one word, 474747. You can do that in this room or you can use the card in the seat pocket in front of you. However you can let us know. (laughs) We want to help you. We want to respond to you. You can visit us up here at the front after we're dismissed and know the Lord. So Lord, thank you for your word. We know none of it returns void. I don't know all the places it's going to go today, but I pray that you will use it to draw people close to you and that people would respond to you. We pray for those to be saved. We pray for those to come in their commitment to you, Lord. And we love you and we thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.